The second key is being at the right place at the right time. And mm. it seems to me like your place and time was because uh, your family's Indian, a lot of entrepreneurs in that family, a lot of them hoteliers, and the furniture was an issue. And that just, that place turned into, oh, well, we can set up a very successful business around this concept. Is that, am I reading that right? Is that? Yeah, that no, works? I think even broader than that, I think, you know, if I started the business in 2006, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, true. Right? Like if I invested and I started growing and then all of a sudden there was a wall two years later, I think the appetite of continuing wouldn't be there. I think if I, um, I didn't have the right support uh, and I didn't have the right, you know, team around me, I probably wouldn't have made it, right? Um, you know, so timing is huge. I think that's, you know, I think about that now in this down cycle and, you know, it's definitely a correction in our marketplace. I'm like, man, if I had to do this all over again and I did it and if I started the business in 2019 or 2020, I wouldn't have made it. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Welcome back to the show, folks. I am the real Jason Duncan. This is the root of all success, and I've got a great guest for you today. I was introduced to Ashish Nathu. Um, actually, I don't even remember how we got introduced, but he, he invited me to be on his podcast, The Rich Equation, back in December last year, and uh, we formed a friendship, as a lot of times I do with my guests because we have such a good time talking, but we formed a friendship, stayed in touch, and I invited him to be on my show, and I will explain a little bit about intro him in just a minute, but I first want to say how grateful I am that you're listening to this. Um, I know a lot of my listeners that uh, that I happen to know personally will come to me and say, man, I love your podcast. I'm listening to it when I'm driving to work or, you know, when I'm walking the dog or something. And uh, I really, really, really am grateful that this valuable content that I'm doing as I'm interviewing these successful entrepreneurs is getting out to people like you. So if you are a successful entrepreneur and want to be on the show, I want to invite you to apply to be on the show. Go to therootofallsuccess.com. That's the root of all success.com. And there's apply to be on the show button right there at the top of the page. And you can apply to get on the show. And uh, I record these every Friday. So I try to do a couple of episodes every Friday and then we release on Tuesdays. So if you're interested in being on the show, if you're a successful entrepreneur, let's talk. And if you know a successful entrepreneur, let's talk about getting him or her on the show. Well, let me introduce the guest for today. Uh, Ashish Nathu or Ash, as I would call him on the show today. He is the founder and CEO of a very successful furniture business, but he's not only just founder and CEO, he's, he's as of course, an entrepreneur, he's a triathlete, he's the host of his own podcast, which I talked about a moment ago, the Rich Equation podcast, um, that's, how I, that's how we met, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about his show, but he also has an academic education in finance and accounting from Boston University. 
Now, as you're going to hear on the show today, he graduated with that, that finance education degree right around the time the whole finance world was crumbling in 2008, 2009. Uh, but he survived in spite of that just by pivoting into a different, different category. He wasn't doing finances, but he's doing furniture. He's a proud member of Vistage he, that's, uh, since 2014, and Vistage is an executive coaching organization that's a pretty cool organization. And through his experience he's uh, in Vistage, he's been able to see inside hundreds of companies. He's a dedicated and loving husband and a papa to two high-spirited girls. And it's a funny story. He had a pretty rough morning with one of his girls. He's going to talk a little bit about that at the beginning of the show. But by age 24, he became the CEO of a global furniture distribution company. And he scaled that business very quickly over the last decade to $60 million in annual revenue. He's a servant leader. He's a student of continuous learning and is motivated to create as much impact while he is on this planet. Please welcome with me Ashish Nathu to the show. Ash, welcome to the show, my man. I'm so glad you're here. What's up, brother? How are you, man? Really good to see you. It's good to see you too. And we just had a really funny interchange pre-show about your morning. Yes. <laughs> and it's and, and it was so funny because uh, I love it when people are 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 transparent with me and as you were, and we don't have to get into a whole deal, but you had a pretty uh, blow up with a family at, well, at home right before the show. And now you're like, what are we going to talk about? Actually, we're going to talk about parenting, Ash. We're going <laughs> to... Well, I was just sharing with you, right, that like I wanted to I woke up this morning super early, totally pumped for this podcast, like ready to share and add value. And, you know, I had a little kid blow up and have a meltdown and created turmoil in the house. And I was like, OK, I got to get out of the house right now during all of this craziness and show up. And so it was just a, a real fun transition. And so but anyways, I just really appreciate being here and super excited for the conversation. Well, that's uh, this is all about entrepreneurship. I mean, my whole show, The Root of All Success, is about how entrepreneurs become successful. And what we sometimes don't see is behind the scenes about that, you know, crap happens, man. And it, sometimes it's family related. And this is just a small thing in the overall scheme of things. I mean, a kid, you yes. know, you, we, I've got kids too. My kids are older than yours, but my, you know, your kids can ruin your day just because they woke up on the wrong side of the bed as, as what your daughter evidently yes. tried to do today. But you know, the, 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 the real side of entrepreneurship is what we want to talk about. It's like, how did you get started? Where did you go? How did you do this? So let me ask you this question. Now I did, in the, I talked about in the intro kind of where you, you know, you're running this furniture distribution company. That's the second largest in the category. Uh, you've scaled it significantly and you're still a relatively young guy. I mean, you're, you're killing it right now, but, but I want to go back to the beginning. When did you, when did you see in your life, entrepreneurship starts showing up? Was it as a kid or did you, what, did it not happen until your 20s? I mean, what when did entrepreneurs show up for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I grew up around entrepreneurship. <clears throat> so my dad had a general contracting company. And so I saw, you know, a self, self-managed company or an entrepreneurship very early on in my life. I grew up stuffing envelopes, you know, cutting checks, uh, running to the job side, doing entrepreneurial day-to-day -day things. And all my uncles, all my family, a lot of, um, a lot of entrepreneurs in, in my circle of influence. And so I saw entrepreneurship really closely growing up. And not that that made me become an entrepreneur or like said, like, that's the only path, but I saw work ethic really early on. You know, I, I saw that um, people living the life they wanted to live and doing the work that was necessary to do that. 
and finding balance. And maybe the balance is not the right word, but finding harmony. And, you know, we just talked about this conversation about, you know, me having a blow up in the house, like having the ability to be flexible and play with the world between work and home. And I saw that really, really early on. And so for me, I grew up not knowing that there was a difference that work life, home life, like it was all one. And I always saw it as one big hodgepodge. And uh, partly what makes me successful is that, but partly what makes me high strung is that as well. But anyways. So your dad was a general contractor. Is that what you said? That's right. And then you had your uncles were all also entrepreneurs. What, what, were, what were the businesses yeah, they were in? A lot of our family and our community, a lot of hoteliers, a lot of retail, um, but business owners in different types of kind of small businesses, if you will. A lot of real okay. estate in our community. I mean, I'm Indian. So, you know, 60% of every hotel is owned by an Indian person. So we saw that growing up. I was born and raised in a motel. And so that, that kind of upbringing of being an owner operator exists in my subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> why do you, why do you think that is? I mean, is what, what is it about Indians owning um, hotels? I mean, I, obviously most of us who are paying attention, we kind of see that in the independently owned hotels and sure, hotels sure. around the country. What, what is the attraction there? What was that just something that, that uh, it just happened and we noticed it, or was that a concerted effort on immigrants from India to, to own hotels? You know, that's a really great question. I'm going to give you my hypothesis. Okay. And I think that for me, what I saw was, you know, back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, um, Indians have been moving all around the world for, you know, decades. But back in the 60s, 70s, when people started coming more to the United States and leaving Africa and leaving India, they came to the US looking for opportunity. And what would end up happening is a few brave people would come here and open up a business, right? And that business ended up being a motel and America being the land of opportunity. You'd have all these people around the world saying, Hey, I want to come to America. What should I do? How do I get there? How do I you know, make money? How do I create a living? Well, the only thing we know is how to run motels. So what we'll do is why don't you come here? You can stay in my motel. You can run my motel. We'll buy you a motel. You can run that one. We'll invest in. And so everyone just started building this community where everyone helped each other come to America with the thing that they knew the most, which was hotels and motels. And huh. so I think we see that in a lot of different immigrant communities, right? Whether it's, you know, and I don't want to be stereotypical, but like whether it's Koreans or Vietnamese or even Jewish people in different types of industries where there's like this level of comfort and security and support to bring people into something that they know how to generate income to live a lifestyle. And that for our community was motels. That's, you know, I, I think your hypothesis is probably correct. I, I, that makes total sense because it was the forerunners. It was the forefathers. The, the one that came over first, they just happened to open a hotel and then it just stayed that comfortable place to bring other people into, to teach them how to do it. And, and they were connected in the right industry. I mean, heck, if you grew up in a family that furniture, for example, like you're in the furniture business, right. it is likely that you're going to continue in the furniture business. And if through generations of people coming from a the same ethnic background or same, uh, you know, same country, it's likely they're going to do it. So that's a very interesting perspective. Yes. I didn't, I, I wouldn't have thought that, but that seems hundred percent true, hundred percent right. So yeah, it's thank like you imagine for if, I, if I've spent, you know, 10 years building lifestyle and struggling and, and finding my balance and somebody asked me, Hey, what's the, you know, if I want to come 
to live with you or near you, what's the best probability of success? I'm not going to tell you to go be a clothing designer. I don't know anything about that. I yeah. can't help you in any way. Right. And so I think that's true in a lot of different communities. Well, so you, you grew up around entrepreneurs. You saw it a lot. Dad's a general contractor. Uncles are doing different businesses, hotels, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What, what was your first business? Did you start something or did you like, what, when did you have your first LLC that was kind of your thing? That's a great question. Well, firstly, I think my first LLC was when I was like eight, when I was selling lemonade <laughs> to all of the general contractors and construction workers in all these like big multifamily communities. And it was like a summer hot day. And I'd go out and I'd like go out to all these guys. And I'd probably made like six, 700 bucks a day in selling lemonade and stuff to these guys. And I would not do this by myself. I would do it with cousins and friends and stuff. And so really early on, we were really excited about, you know, just adding value and doing things, right? Like buying and selling and doing commerce and, and economics and all that, like that was just really, really fun for me. And I don't know if that's something that um, you can teach or what, but it's something that like some kids just have that proclivity, right? Like we used to play Monopoly three times a day. Like that's how we used to operate as young kids. Growing up, um, I graduated college at two, in 2008. And 2008 with a finance and accounting degree is a terrible time to graduate and get into the finance industry, right? And so I sort of stepped back and said, okay, you know, can I, should I go to New York? Should I go to Boston? Should I go to LA? Like San Francisco, where am I going to move? I went to school in Boston. So like, where am I going to move now into a W2 job, which is kind of how school programs you, especially at a college. And I have all this like subconscious programming of doing your own thing and being an entrepreneur. But reality is education teaches us how to go look for jobs. Well, I mean, maybe the biggest blessing was I couldn't get a job. And so 2008, couldn't get a job and reverted immediately to coming into the family business. And then a couple of years after that, um, started the furniture company. And it was really just out of a need because there was no other place where people, you know, wanted me and at, I could add enough value to get excited about. And I didn't want to get into like this, you know, you know, everyday type of, job i wanted to have flexibility and freedom and do things and and so i had to start from scratch so the the family furniture business how, how when did that get established we started the company back in 2010 uh, i had really no furniture experience no manufacturing experience no international business experience i literally was a finance and accounting kid with this entrepreneurial spirit and we ended up, um, I say we, because, you know, I was the young kid, but a bunch of guys had this idea. They're like, Hey, why don't you try to start this business and we'll support you. And so we got two buildings, one in city of industry in California and one in Indonesia. And we built two factories, one producing upholstery and one producing case goods for hotels. And literally from machine to machine, guy to guy, we built those factories up. And we started a small sales team who was out, you know, they had some relationships. And so they'd go out and sell product. And my responsibility was to kind of manage all of it. And, you know, I remember walking in one day, one of the first few months, and I had a disagreement with the designer about a finish, like a, the color was off or what have you. 
And I was thinking to myself, like, are you kidding me? Like, this is all my education is coming down to a color being 20% off of a, a nightstand or whatever. I was like, are you kidding me? This is not what life's about. But, you know, it was about I had really learned about adding value and supporting the customer and, and you know, quality above all else. So we had some really good principles and I just was unwilling to fail and just kept grinding. So 2010, so we're talking the business is 12 years old. Uh, yeah. You grew, helped grow that in, at age 24, you became the CEO of the business, but you grew that to the second largest in the category. That's, that's pretty significant. So how did, how did, how were you able to do that? Yeah. So there's a couple of structural things that made us super successful. <clears throat> we built a uh, shared service platform that allowed us to consolidate sort of operating services for multiple sales channels. So we'd go and we built multi and, and this is in many different categories. Like for example, you know, we talk about old Navy uh, banana Republic and, you know, I don't know, a gap, I think is the third brand. Right. And so they all have three different sales channels for different customers, but the back end, there's a lot of consolidated services. And so nobody in our industry was doing that. And one of the advantages we had was on the sales side, we were able to move really, really quickly. And we were able to get a lot of market comp market information and competitive information. And on the back end, on the brain, we would use all that information to be able to serve all the brands and serve customers in a much more efficient way. And then we'd share manufacturing resources, we'd share operational resources. And so our, our brain was getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And we had three channels of information coming from the marketplace. Um, and so we'd be able to outpace our competitors from that perspective. The second thing is that our industry is really tired. And I think this is a really interesting concept. And it's an important one because a lot of industries are tired. And I came in definitely the youngest guy in the space. And all these guys who've been doing furniture and furniture for hospitality is sort of a, a very... Um, mom and pop, very legacy type of industry. It's kind of niche. -y. And so all these guys have been doing this for 20, 30 years and no new systems, no new process, no new way of engaging the customer. Responsiveness wasn't a priority. So it was all about relationship, but all these other things got missed. And so my opportunity was to come in and lead with that, lead with technology, lead with information, lead with transparency, uh, lead with consistency because I didn't have a brand. I no, didn't have really any kind of reputation. So I had to lead with building trust with other things. And, um, and we just moved faster than anyone else could. And uh, with a little bit of tenacity, we we're able to do it. And there was so a lot your, of space to do it. So is your, are your furniture lines mainly or only for hotels and, or, or is it yes. also, is that it? Okay. Yep. Yeah. We pretty much primarily focus on hospitality. And I will say that we have, you know, just like all entrepreneurs, we kind of get a little distracted and we look at other opportunities, but we realize that that niche is really our core competency. And we're looking at the skill sets we have that we can then apply to other industries, but like thinking about hospitality and then thinking about retail is like two different animals. It's like apples and oranges, but thinking about like retail, or sorry, hospitality and let's say office or you know, perhaps senior housing or government or K through 12, those are similar types of models, but you know, retail is completely different. So looking at different types of models that are similar to your skill sets in order to continue to grow.
Yeah. And I, I, well, I think it going back to our earlier conversation about the hotel world with Indians own hotels, I, I would assume that that's how that even started was because, Hey, you had so many family members who own hotels. It's like, yep. Hey, we, we are getting crappy furniture from these other, other suppliers. Let's do it ourselves. Let's create our, and we'll not only have a built-in customer base, but we'll, we're, we're going to do it based on our specs. Is, is my, is my assumption correct? That's right. I mean, we saw we were helping other companies buy furniture for a while and we'd go to China and we'd look at furniture and we'd look at the factories and we realized that because we had this ownership experience, we could really manage the process much better. And we could teach people how to make product the way we wanted to make it, the way that we knew it was being used in the hotel. So definitely that comes into play. And then, you know, we have natural connections into the space. Um, I don't, you know, in the beginning, we probably had a high concentration of customers, but then as we grew, we really focused on decentralizing that, um, like most businesses do. And so, yeah, I mean, we knew the space, we knew who the big players were, and we slowly, you know, we, we can speak the language and that helps a lot. So on this show, Ash, uh, the root of all success, of course, I, I ask every guest that how they define success. So you're a successful guy. You've built a very successful brand in the in the hospitality furniture industry. How do you define the word success? That's a really, really good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I think I think I'm going to look at this question in the two different ways. From a business perspective, what does success in business look like? I think that business success to me means that you have sustainable and healthy growth, as well as you have a really, really healthy culture. Um, I think businesses that continue to just focus on, well, how do we get, you know, 3% growth every single year and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think that that's the right approach to business. Um, I also don't think that you should just look at your business like a, a cash register. I think that, you know, businesses need to be focused on adding value and continuously growing and inspiring people to change the world. I think that's, if you can build something that does that, I think that your business is really successful. Um, and having a really core team that is excited about waking up every day and excited to work together and has a really good culture that feeds into the business, I think that's like a successful business. Um, but success in life, like, dude, maybe I should ask you that question. Um, God, if I know, I'm still trying to figure that out. I think you know, I think in the back and forth of it, I think if you can just be at peace, if you can be happy, if you can find your own peace and happiness, I think that's success. I think what I've learned, and I'll be pretty open, is that success in business does not mean personal success. That's and true. I, yes, and I, and I think I equated that pretty cl clearly in the first seven or eight years of the business. And then when the business was starting to be successful, I didn't feel successful, me personally, or I didn't feel fulfilled. And I realized that they're not the same thing. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs attach their identity to their businesses and don't feel successful when their business is successful. Or they feel like a failure when their business is a failure. And so I've really had to focus on like, how do I be successful just as myself? And how do we, I find my peace and how do I find my fulfillment that is, you know, almost disconnected from the success of the business. So I don't know if that answers your question, but like, I've really struggled through that, that well, question. I think, 
for well a, i think it's a it's a it's an honest it's an honest answer that i that i think i expect and and i think the listeners will appreciate but how do you you know you went through seven or eight years of business success and as you self-admitted that, it, that you didn't feel successful yeah. personally how do you think the entrepreneurs um how, how should entrepreneurs deal with that i mean and, and maybe maybe you have more questions than you have answers and that's fine but if entrepreneurs out there listening are saying, hey, I'm listening to the show because I, you know, the real Jason Duncan and his guests helped me understand how to unlock success. But here's a guy very successful and, and, and for seven or eight years didn't feel that way. How do entrepreneurs avoid that feeling? How do they combine the success that they're experiencing in business and family so that it's one, one success? That's a good question. So let me tell you how I look at this. I think that in everything in life, we end up doing things for a, for something, right? We do something because we want something in return. And I think it's really important to understand what that thing is so that we don't blindly do the things for a false sense of security or a false sense of validation. And so let me be really clear. I think in the beginning of business, you have to keep your head down and you have to work super, super hard and you cannot look up. And I think that what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs is they get distracted. They, they look for the money. They look for the success. Like entrepreneurship is really the reason why a lot of people are not entrepreneurs. And the reason why people can't stay on the journey is because you need to invest a ton of time and energy and it takes time. And so my, I guess not, not to sound like, um, like I'm all over the place, but really for me, it's like, I didn't think about what I wanted from an end goal perspective. Like I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to be a $50 million company. I was thinking like, how do I get through today and add as much physical value today as possible? And then as many punches or hits or failures I had today, I need to wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. And that consistency and that rigor and that like resilience, that's the root of all success. And at some point you are like, holy crap, did I just wake up today? And like, now all of a sudden I'm 20 million, I'm 30 million, I'm 50 million. Like what the hell just happened? And, and I think that for me, that's really what was really critical to my success was not thinking so much about the future, not thinking about this utopian world. What would my life like be like when I'm 50? Uh, that focusing on the destination. Cause I think what the, the trap for me when I noticed it was, it, it was that it was the, well, wait a second, I'm 50 million. I thought I was supposed to be happy by now. What happened? And the, the happiness didn't come from the destination. It came from the journey. We're going to take a break from our show right now to bring you our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, 
Priceline. All right. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Wow. So are you guys doing 50 million? Is that, is that the revenue that you guys are doing right now? Yeah, we're doing a little bit more than that. I mean, COVID, COVID definitely crushed us. We're on the back cycle of that journey, but yeah, we just uh, passed 60 million back in 2020. Wow. Congratulations, yeah. man. Yeah, you know, that not many, not many entrepreneurs ever make it out of that, you know, one to $5 million range, or if they ever even hit a million, sure. they never make it out of the one to five going over tens, even smaller number, but to hit 50, 60 million, dude, that's, that's incredible. Congratulations on your success. So I want to, I want to kind of take the, a turn in the conversation towards what I, the theory behind why I feel like people are successful like you. And, and that's why I started the show actually was because I'd been studying casually all these successful entrepreneurs that I was surrounded by about how they became successful. And I, I discovered that these five things showed up every single time. These, and I, I refer to them now as the keys to success. And I even have an ebook called the five keys to success. And, and I'll give that away for free on my website if anybody wants that. But, but I want to talk about them with you, Ash. I want to see how these five keys played into your story. Because okay, I, let's do it. I love, well, I love the, I love the honesty about, you know, you, you, <laughs> You didn't know you were successful for so long, but I want to, I want to go, I want you to kind of dig deep into your story and think about these five things. So the first key to success that I've discovered through most people like you becoming successful is that of passion. And, and honestly, most people think passion means you love it, like it, get energy from it. And it, you, it's true joy. That is not what I mean. I think that type of passion that helps, but that's not the key to success. That's, that's maybe a little, that, that, that greases the cylinder. So the key slides a little easier, but sure. it is not, this is not the key. The key to the key passion actually means going back to the root word of passion, which is willing to suffer, willing to endure yes. for the thing that you're building. So was there a point at which you can look back in your story of getting next company off the ground up to 50, $60 million in revenue, that there was this passion point of, I'm pushing through, I'm suffering, I'm going to endure because I know there's a payoff at the 100%, end. 100%, 100%. Tell me about that. I think for me, it was this constant and unrelenting pursuit of improvement. And I don't want to sound cliche about this, but I came into a very traditional business, a business that, that was here before me and will likely be here after me, right? This industry, I mean. And so I'm coming to guys who have been making furniture for, let's say, two, three generations. And I'm like, yeah, I think there's a better way. Right. Or, you know, every project manager I've hired, every controller I've hired, anyone whoever hired in my business has always had more experience than me. And so when you bring people in and they're like, yeah, this is the way we do it. I'm like, I don't know if that's true. And so having this kind of curious, why, how do we make it better? Constant pursuit is like, I think is one of the most fundamental things that uh, made us successful. And it's really challenging to have that perspective because you have to rub people the wrong way all the time. And not that you're trying to disturb people, but if you can do it with genuineness and you can do it with this curiosity, people are like, okay, this kid is trying to solve it and figure it out and push the envelope and try to find a better way instead of just doing it the same way because we've always done it that way, right? They say a lot, like the best way to fail is to say that this is how we've always done it. And so being able to like constantly be curious, and I think that was my passion, is I was not going to accept no for an answer, and I was always going to look for some better way. And I think that's across the board in every aspect of my business. And, and I think that the people who enjoy that and I, I like that exploration in my business stay, and the people who 
find it irritating, end up leaving. Well, you and I are cut from the same cloth, my man, because that's that's kind of how I define my personality is I'm always looking for constant improvement. There's got to be a better way to do it. I love change and I love to make it better, not just change, but to, I want to see things better. So if you challenge me, you think that this is the best well, way to do something, I'm with you. I'm like, I'm going to challenge you back that it might not be. Well, I'll tell you, I just learned something from you this week. I am like a calendar fiend. I live by my calendar and you just posted something on social media and I repost it and I really recommend people to go look at it. You talk about how you schedule your week and you put 10 blocks and you talk about lunches in between and how many lunches we should have and how we should think about prioritizing. And, you, you know, it was like probably a seven or eight minute video, but it talks about like the process and how you manage your time. And so I was like, wow, there are I put blocks of time that are like really inefficient and I leave those as inefficient time and I'm not prioritizing my time based on the, so even I'm constantly learning about how to improve the most fundamental things about how we operate um, every single day. And so I, even to you, man, I appreciate you putting out good stuff. Cause I literally had a conversation with somebody a couple of days ago after I watched that video, I'm like, I need to restructure my calendar about how to optimize time. So well, I'm I'm glad Always, somebody, somebody I'm glad somebody watched the video. <laughs> yeah, no one at least one guy watched. At least it. one guy. It worked. <laughs> it worked. Well, what's funny about that 10 block weekly schedule that I developed and I teach my clients in my exit accelerator is that dude, when you get that down, it completely changes your life, Amen. man. And I I redo my I actually Monday, this is a true story, which is why I did the video this week because I was I was actually recreating mine. I recreated about every four to six months because life changes. There's different projects, projects I'm working on. So I recreated it and there. And I took a video of me doing it and kind of, so anyway, not about me, but I'm no, I loved it. I loved it. it. Yeah, it was good. And you're, you're doing so many different things. And so to, to learn from somebody who's like, wow, this guy has so many things going on. And yet he has a structure and a discipline on how he manages it. I'm like, I think I can do that. So I think, I think just constantly being curious and willing to listen and learn and adjust is, is really critical in, in growth. Well, I would agree. And uh, I love your comments about how passion and this continuous uh, pursuit of improvement is a key to your success. Well, the second key in my five keys of success, passion is key number one. The second key is being at the right place at the right time. And mm. it seems to me like your place and time was because uh, your family's Indian, a lot of entrepreneurs in that family, a lot of them hoteliers, and the furniture was an issue. And that just that place turned into, oh, well, we can set up a very successful business around this concept. Is that am I reading that right? Is that? Yeah, that no, I think even broader than that, I think, you know, if I started the business in 2006, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. True. Right. Like if I invested and I started growing and then all of a sudden there was a wall two years later, I think the appetite of continuing wouldn't be there. I think if I um, I didn't have the right support uh, and I didn't have the right, you know, team around me, I probably wouldn't have made it. Right. Um, you know, so timing is huge. I think that's you know, I think about that now in this down cycle and, you know, it's definitely a correction in our marketplace. I'm like, man. If I had to do this all over again and I did it and if I started the business in 2019 or 2020, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. So well, you're absolutely right about that. 
Well, recognizing that time is also one of those keys. It's just knowing, taking advantage of the time of making, making the most. I mean, you come out of college in 2008, 2009 with a finance degree when the world's burning down and the finance world is burning down. And so, okay, that's not the right time and place to be going into finance. And so I think we need to recognize and pay attention to that. So uh, I think that's a key to everybody's success as entrepreneurs. And I'm glad to see that you recognize it as a key in your own. So you've got passion, be in the right place at the right time. And then you mentioned it already. And the third key is people, knowing the right people, having the right people around you. And yeah. uh, is there a person or two in your story that you can point to and say, man, if this person so had been here, I wouldn't be here People today. is, people, I think I would put number one. Okay. It is the single, I mean, we're, we're a, we're all connected. I mean, let's not get spiritual here, but like this whole thing is about people. And yes. so I want to say two things about people. Number one, is the journey of an entrepreneur is the hardest journey in business that I've ever experienced. And, and it is significantly improves the odds of success. If you surround yourself with a small group of people and that group can evolve over time based on your journey that doesn't care about anything else except you, like your well-being, your mental stability, you know, your strategy, making sure you're on the right track. And you can call that whatever you want, a board, a kitchen cabinet, uh, a friend, a group of buddies. Like, but I was really blessed to have two to three people. And again, they evolve and they, people come in and out of that little circle. Um, but I, I, I can give a lot of credit to the support, unconditional support of a handful of people, because, you know, entrepreneurship is like, sometimes you feel like you're going to conquer the world and some days you feel like everything is going to blow up and you're going to die. Like it's that much of a contrast. So being able to support your thing, you know, support yourself with people who just really care about you, I think is super important. And the second thing is, is from an internal perspective about people. And, and, you know, I'm not the first one to talk about this because there's, there's a huge school of thought about how to build culture within teams, but it is about the people. And I think if we can learn how to connect with our teams and answer their why and inspire them to do something different and change the world in, a, in our own little ways, whether it's, you know, I, I have a subway shop or I have a, a furniture company or I'm building the biggest technology in the world, like everybody can get inspired about something. And it is our responsibility as entrepreneurs to inspire that little spark in everybody to be like, we're making a difference. And I, I think that's what we did really early on is I only wanted, because I'm that way. I can't get out of bed if I'm not inspired, right? And so I wanted to surround myself with people that fed me good energy. And I think, you know, many of them had furniture experience. Many of them didn't have furniture experience, but that didn't matter. I wanted to surround myself with people that inspired me and I could inspire them. And like, then that's, so that's my two 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 notes on people, but I think it is, you know, I had a mentor tell me really early on is like, Ashish, I used to complain about, oh, this employee did this and this customer did this. He goes, look, it's just all about the people. And I never really understood that. I'm like, oh, you're just saying that because you, you know, you're older and you know, you think you know more. You're just saying that it's like, Ashish, it's all about the people. It's about the motivation. It's about their why. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't make sense, but he's not filling out that report when I tell him to do it. <laughs> and so, I've learned that as, you know, and I think one of the biggest pivots for me was when I had kids, I didn't really have compassion until I really had kids. Even when I was married, like you're just in this like grind and I just need to get stuff done and I need you to do things. But 
you need to have compassion for people because they're waking up and working hard just like you are. Yes. And sometimes blowing your day up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let me talk about the last two keys. The last two are preparation and plan. The preparation key, I believe, shows up in everybody's story because you can't be successful in something you're not prepared to be successful in. It's like I couldn't go out and start a, uh, a healthcare company right now because I don't have any experience. That. I don't have to know how to do that. Now, could I prepare for that and be successful at some point? Yes, but I had to be prepared first. And I think your preparation actually based on your story is you grew up around entrepreneurs, you grew up in families of entrepreneurs, and, and you, you had an ecosystem where a business was ready to rock it, right? You, you, yes. if, we, if we build this, if we start this company to build this furniture, we've got built-in customers all over the place, not only in our family, but in our community and then throughout the world. And, and you've done that. So I believe that your preparation came from that. Would you agree, agree. or is there something yeah, else? Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. What about your uh, preparation as, a, as your degree in finance? Do you think that that actually helped you or hinder you or did it not make any difference at all? You know, I don't think... I don't know if it necessarily helped me. I think I am very data driven. So maybe it did help from that perspective. Like I can digest information and data quickly to be able to understand where to go in our industry that does not exist that much, right? Because it's a lot of furniture people, a lot of designers, things like that. So being able to have a data driven uh, philosophy on how to approach decisions, I think helps maybe from my education. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. Prep, prep you know, mentally prepared, seeing entrepreneurship and the, the effort and the work ethic that it takes to succeed. I think definitely um, I was prepared for whatever journey was coming. So the fifth, the fifth key is plan. And, and it's not business plan as much as it is about the, what's your plan to deploy capital and financial resources to mm -hmm. support the business. So a furniture business is not a cheap endeavor. It's not, no. it's something, it's very difficult to bootstrap. I don't know how you did it. You could talk about that if you want, but yep. because the, buying the materials and putting the manufacturing uh, together and there's lots of shipping and it's big, heavy stuff. So how, what was your plan? How did you finance this? Yeah, that's startup? a great question. So few things at play here. Number one is I think most entrepreneurs fail because they don't have, uh, they don't have the capital. That's like the number one reason you can, you have really smart guys chasing really great ideas, but they spent all their time chasing capital and not running their business. And one of the blessings I had was to partner with somebody who believed in me, believed in the idea and gave me the financial support I needed. Um, even when things looked dark and slim, I think that's really, really critical and how you find that or how you build that. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I haven't necessarily looked at that as like having to do that multiple times in my career, but finding somebody who believes in you and has the financial resources to be able to invest in an idea is really important without you having to constantly keep chasing money. Yeah. The second thing is in my business, customers give us 50% deposit, 50% before shipping. And so it's a very well-financed industry in terms of that, like we get capital up front, but when you grow, you need more capital. So when you stabilize, like the business kind of funds itself, but when you grow, you need a lot of capital. And so being able to be very aware about how much working capital you need as you're growing, you know, first year you need a million, then you need two, three, four. It's as you grow, you need more and more. Right. And so um, being able to work through that with your investment team is really important, but I, we lost money for five years. Solid. Really? I, yeah. Solid. Because we were growing like crazy. We didn't know what we were doing. We were trying to figure out our formulas, right? We knew um, 
I didn't know enough about the industry and the margins and the pricing. Like we were learning everything from scratch. And so too many distractions, trying to learn too many things at the same time, we, we were probably too ambitious. So back in 2016, we made some really strategic changes in our strategy. Less is more, got rid of the factories, increased pricing, you know, started taking control more of certain things in our business, narrowed our, narrowed our, what our yes factor was of like, what are we going to say yes to? And boom, business changed completely. And being able to have somebody who gives you from a financial perspective, especially when you're starting a big endeavor, you don't know so much is, is giving you the runway to go experiment and learn and believe that at some point you'll figure it out. And then you make that shift and it goes, whoosh. So did you, was it the first five years you lost money or is there? Probably lost money. Um, let me think. I shouldn't say we lost money, but we, we invested, it took us two or three years to really invest in the business, really put a lot of money into the company. Two years probably didn't take a single penny out of the business. We were trying to figure it out, but we were still losing from an income perspective. And, and then uh, I think in 2016, we made a big change in our I mean, everything changed from that point. That's great, man. So what are you doing now with uh, the success that you're experiencing from a, a business and personal standpoint? Are you, uh, you doing anything cool? You got an RV you're traveling? <laughs> oh man, I, I wish I had an RV like you, brother. You know, I, I've, I, I think that, I've seen the pictures you've been in. <laughs> right? Well, I've really, you know, COVID has been a real blessing for me. I think um, I was running around the world without thinking really what I was doing. And I was busy and, and, you know, you talked about this earlier about like, well, that, but that sort of makes you successful and you're right. But you don't think about sort of the behaviors and the every, everyday wise. And the second I, we had COVID, I stopped like, right. Like the first time in 10 years, I'd not been on a plane. I used to go to China six, six, seven times a year. And so um, the blessing of COVID for me was to really slow down my life and to figure out what I enjoyed. And I have two young kids to be able to spend all that time with family and be home. Like it was a huge blessing that I would otherwise would not have experienced. Um, got into RVing. You know, I love, I'm a triathlete. So love being outdoors, running, swimming, biking, and, and just really spending more time on me. Um, I, you know, really spent a lot of time on the leadership team this last couple of years and in getting them to a place where, you know, they make most of the day-to-day -day decisions and, uh, but I love being involved and I love getting, you know, into the business too, um, but they know what they're doing and they're running it. So really investing in trying to find these harmonies, right? And, but like days like this or many days, like everybody, we have our days, right? Some days things are great. Some days it's a hot mess and finding that harmony is really what I think we're all trying to look for. So this uh, show is listeners from all over the spectrum of entrepreneurship. They've got the people that are W2 employees that always thought about getting an entrepreneurship and haven't yet made the, the leap. There's early stage entrepreneurs, there's growth stage. And then there's guys on the other end of the spectrum, kind of like you, you're, you know, they're running 50, 60, hundred million dollar companies. And uh, so I want you to give some advice as we close out the show today. What advice would you give to the early side of the spectrum? Maybe not pre-startup, but just on the early side of the spectrum, as a very successful entrepreneur yourself running a very successful company, what is your advice to that person? Oof. Uh, what would I tell a young entrepreneur? I think for me, I would tell them... Um, 
don't attach your identity to your business. I think that the business is its own entity and be careful in the traps of attaching your identity to your business. Um, that's showing up for me. But I also feel like, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people get in the trap of, let me, let me slow down. Let me explain exactly what I'm talking about. What I've learned in a lot of the psychological work that this, it's all psycho, psychology, is that we end up doing things in our business, okay, that makes us feel good about ourselves. A lot of ego, a lot of this, a lot of how do I look better? How do I fear of making decisions based on how I'm going to be perceived? And that's what I'm trying to get to is if you can focus on the business as its own entity and what's healthy and the best for the business and not what's healthy and the best for me, then I think the business has the most probability of success. And what I see in a lot of young entrepreneurs is that they fall in love with their product because it's emotionally connected to them. And it has nothing to do with the probability of success for the business. How are you going to sell the business? How are you going to sell the product? How are you going to go get new customers? Are you priced correctly? How are you going to diversify your customer base? That has nothing to do with the pride and the ego of you. It has to do with the success of the company itself. And so not only to improve success, but also to um, you know, have failure earlier is important, right? If you're going to fail, don't spend $10 million and then fail realizing you were attached to your factory or attached to your business. Um, you'd rather have failure in year one when you only lost 200 grand or 300 grand because you're like, yeah, that was a personal project. I really didn't have any insight to go get 300 customers around the United States and do the work that was necessary. I just loved the shoe that I designed or whatever. Um, and so I guess that's my point is really look at the business as a business and don't get personally attached to the business as if it's you and it's yours. Think about how to improve the business and make the business successful first. I asked that question of almost every guest on the show, and that is the most unique answer anybody's given. Like most of the answers are generally around the same theme and get started now, take risk, you know, that type of thing. But I love, I love Ash, what you said there about don't attach your your identity. And I, and I know this from, from my own life, because when I exited uh, one of the first big businesses that I built, I, my identity was wrapped up so much in that, I, that I went through a, a short identity crisis for three or four months. I really didn't know how to introduce myself. I didn't know who I was. And uh, so, yes, that is a, that's a dangerous thing. Now, luckily I overcame it and it didn't, didn't crush the business or crush me personally, but Great advice. Great advice, Ash. So how could, if people listen to this, they like you and they say, Hey, I want to get in touch with this guy. Uh, maybe, maybe they own a hotel and need to buy furniture they call <laughs> you for sure. But, but if they just like you and say, Hey, you want to follow this guy? How would, how yeah. would people get in touch? Yeah, no, I really appreciate having the conversation. It's been super fun. I think if people want to reach out to me, they can reach out on, I'm big on IG uh, at Ashish Nathu. We also have a podcast called the rich equation podcast where we, we redefine what it means to be rich and we talk a lot about the same stuff as Jason, the real Jason does here and about what principles there are to achieve business success, but also life success. So I just am honored to be here and happy to share and add value. So thanks so much for having me, brother. Well, I'm glad you're here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell your name for those that are listening and want to follow you. It's A-A-S-H-I-S-H. That's Ashish Nathu, N-A-T-H-U. You can find him on Instagram there. 
And then you can go look up the Rich Equation podcast. I was a guest on this podcast not too long yes. ago. So go look that up. Anything and you're, else? You're living the key. You were having, you were recording my podcast on your RV, sitting right outside the water. You're living the rich life, baby. I love it. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was back yes. in December. Yeah, we were yes. we were down in the Keys and with our RV for a couple of weeks. But uh, that's right. A good trip. That's a good trip, man. Well, hey, last word goes to you. Anything you want to say before we sign off? No, I just uh, really honored to be here. Really wish everybody listening the most success possible. You know, really keep your head down, believe in yourself. And uh, if, it doesn't matter if anyone else believes in you as long as you believe in yourself. So just really honored to be here and, and blessings to everybody. Thanks, Ash. Thanks, brother. Well, there you have it. Ashish Nathu, another very successful entrepreneur sharing his story of success and I love his his uh, his transparency, telling us about how he didn't feel successful for a very long time, and the fact that he's really just trying to figure things out. I mean, he's only thirty five years old. He's he's running a sixty million dollar company, and uh, there's lots of things happening in his life, but he's keeping the right things in perspective. And I hope that you're learning from him and learning from everybody that's on this show. Uh, remember, you can reach out to him at Ashish Nathu on Instagram, and again, that's A S H I S H. N-A-T-H-U. So look at him on Instagram, follow him, give him a like, and go listen to his podcast, The Rich Equation Podcast. It's a good podcast. He interviews people about what the definition of being rich really is. And it's not exactly just having tons of money. It's more than that. Uh, because as I heard and was told a long time ago, and I always say this, what's the definition of a rich person? It's somebody with more than you. So that means it's all a matter of perspective. So go listen to his podcast, the Rich Equation Podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to this one and left me a five-star review yet, I would really appreciate it if you could go do that. And if you're not watching on YouTube, you got to go watch on YouTube. This is on youtube.com slash the real Jason Duncan. You can watch this show and you can watch other video content like Ashish was talking about in the show. I do lots of video content on my social media profiles. You can follow me at the real Jason Duncan on any of the social media channels at the real Jason Duncan. Well, Tune in again next week when I talk again with another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until then, remember this, I'm the real Jason Duncan and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.